Yeah, so, so good to see you this morning. A big welcome from me to those in the room and those online. Um, I just wanted to share that while I was preparing for today, I had moments of being so overwhelmed by the enormity of God's love for us. And it's my prayer today that you'll know God speaking to you and that you would know the enormity of his love for you. Um, So we're continuing our series in 1 John. And two weeks ago, Blessing reminded us from 1 John 1 that God is light. Because God is light, we can come to him for forgiveness. And that we have been entrusted with the light of God and called to reach others with the light of God. And today we're looking at 1 John 2, verses 1 to 8. And my title for today, the one I've chosen if you like a title, is How Can We Know We Know God? And so we're going to look and see that God is knowable, that John wants us to know that we can know God. And knowing God isn't just a head knowledge, it's not knowing about God, but knowing God means having a living personal relationship and fellowship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is God's invitation to all. And secondly, we're going to see because God is knowable, we are called to make him known by our lives. John wants us to know that knowing God is outworked in our lives too. So I'm just going to let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time together as a church. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, speak to us. Come, Holy Spirit. Do a work in our hearts and our lives that only you can do. Open up our hearts and our eyes to see what you want us to see in your word and to hear what you are saying. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read the passage together, or like, I'll read it and it will come up on the screen. So 1 John 2, this is the NIV version. Dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Great. So the first thing to say is today's text continues on from chapter one. 
the message was God is light. And the application of that was walk in the light. And this application is actually continued in the first part of our first verse. My dear children, I write this so that you will not sin. So John is saying, don't sin, walk in the light. John also said in chapter 1, don't claim to be perfect, but confess your sin. He said in 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And this is continued in the second half of our first verse. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So John has been saying, don't hide your sin, admit it. You have an all-sufficient advocate. So it's here we see John uses two terms to describe the person and work of Jesus Christ in the gospel. Jesus is our advocate, and Jesus is the atoning sacrifice, also known as propitiation for our sins. So we're going to look at these words together, but lean in right now. What we're going to see here is that John is pointing us to the person and work of Christ as the source of our hope and ultimate victory over sin. There is no other source or victory over sin other than in the work and person of Christ. So let's look at these terms, um, advocate and atoning sacrifice or propitiation, in the setting of a courtroom, heaven's courtroom. So the word ad translated advocate here means one who is called alongside to help, like in a court of law, an advocate represents you. So Jesus Christ is our representative. He is our advocate with the Father, it says. Jesus Christ appears before the face of God for us. He is the one to represent us in heaven's courtroom. He is our advocate, taking our case on with the Father. And it says he is righteous, the righteous one. He's unlike us. We are unrighteous, and so we're unfit to appear before the face of God. But he, being perfectly righteous, is fit to appear before the holy God as our advocate. And also, we see Jesus Christ is also the atoning sacrifice or propitiation for our sins. So propitiation here means a sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns it to favor. So the wrath of God, God's wrath, is a righteous hatred and holy opposition to all sin. So if Jesus is the propitiation, which here means a sacrifice that bears God's wrath, this means that Jesus removed the wrath of God from us by choosing to lay down his life, by dying for us on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for sin. In heaven's courtroom, when we sin, we, are to be, we should be charged as guilty sinners before a holy God. Our plea is not innocent, but is guilty. 
But Jesus Christ, our advocate, pleads our case, not on the basis of our perfection, but on the basis of his propitiation, his atoning sacrifice. Jesus Christ, the advocate, declares our full pardon is possible on the basis of his finished sacrifice. And um, Jesus has paid the penalty for our sin in full by his death on the cross. And this double role of Christ is to show us that it is in the person and work of Christ that we have hope and ultimate victory over sin. We can know that we can know God. Hallelujah. This is how we can know God. It is amazingly good news that Christ is our advocate, an advocate who removed the wrath of God from those who trust him. So just to to recap, God is knowable. John wants us to know that we can know God because of the person and work of Jesus. And John wants us also to know that it is so important to know God. You matter to God. God wants you to know him. It matters to God that we have a living personal relationship with him. We know his forgiveness. We know his love. We experience his presence. It is so important, God. And so I wanted to say, if anyone here feels they don't know this God, and you're hearing that you matter to God, and you want to find out more about a relationship with God, please see me at the end. I would love to speak to you. And so because God is knowable, we are called to make him known by our lives. Knowing God is outworked in our lives. So, um, yeah, 1 John 2, verse 3, if we can look at that verse... So we're going to look at this now. Knowing God is outworked in our lives. 1 John 3 says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. So what are his commands? What are we commanded? We're going to look in Matthew 22. Um, And in verses... um, In Matthew 22, Jesus is answering a question, and he tells us what the two greatest commandments are. It says in Matthew 22, 33 to 40, it will come up on the screen. Jesus answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and most important command And the second command is like the first. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and the writings of the prophets depend on these two commands. So these are both commanded in the Old Testament. Jesus is quoting these from Leviticus 19.18 and Deuteronomy 6.5. And Jesus not only confirmed these commandments but he also renews them. Jesus made them new. Jesus said, and it's recorded in John 13, verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another 
As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So Jesus has commanded, confirmed these commandments, but also renewed them, given a new command. And so in our passage, when John says in verse 7, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one. And he says, yet I am writing you a new command. He means the Old Testament commands to love the Lord with all, God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But more so, the new command too. As Jesus has loved you, you must love one another. So this is what John the Apostle is telling us. So from what we've just looked at, and what we see in 1 John 2, my understanding is we see there are two ways that we can know we know God. Knowing God is outworked in our life as obedience, and this is something John talks about in the passage, and our love of others. So these are challenging things. We're going to look at these together. Um, so 1 John 2, we're going to look at our passage again. 1 John 2, verses 3 to 6. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anybody obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And so we see here, and actually all, all through the Bible actually, a connection exists between knowing Christ or loving God and obeying his commandments or keeping his commandments. And Jesus says in John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. So obedience, God asks for obedience from the heart. Obedience is a result, we see here, of knowing God. Obedience is a result of loving him. John is saying when we obey God, we are sure that we know him. And I looked up obedience, the term, the definition, and the general concept of obedience, both in the Old and New Testament, relates to listening to a higher authority. One of the Greek terms for obedience in the Bible conveys the idea of positioning oneself under someone by submitting to their authority or command. Another Greek word for obey in the New Testament means to trust. According to the Holman's Illustrated Bible Dictionary, a succinct definition of biblical obedience is to hear God's word and act accordingly. So biblical obedience to God means to hear, trust, submit, and surrender to God and his word. And Jesus calls us to obedience. Our actions, our lives are to give evidence of our relationship with God. Now, we know this is only possible through the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Bible tells us that when we give our lives to God, that God comes to live in us, the Holy Spirit is in us. And he dwells among us as believers. 
And the Bible tells us that God changes our heart. Isaiah 31 says, God writes his law upon our heart. So God does a work in our heart and our heart is changed. And I just wanted us to remember that you and me, we are a work in progress. The Holy Spirit is continually, will continually be at work in our lives. I worked, I did a work placement in a cake factory, which it was amazing. And throughout the factory, there would be trolleys of products that would have these stickers that said WIP, work in progress. And what it would mean is those products, those cakes, they weren't ready. They weren't ready to go out. They needed look, they needed checking, they needed correcting. And that just that's just a picture of that's us. We are a work in progress, and the Holy Spirit will continually be at work in our lives. So you might be thinking, what about when I don't obey, when I don't keep his commands? You've just said, Kathy. If we love him, we'll keep his commands. What about when I don't obey? And we must remember that our obedience, our works, do not bring us to a right standing with God. That is not the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Saving grace is a free gift of God, and we can do nothing to deserve it. But because he has lavished his love on us from a heart of gratitude for the grace we have received, we want to strive to live accordingly in response to him. So remember, there is grace when we fall short. And I just wanted to share some quick stories of mine. Um, of hearing God or feeling prompted by God and then doing. So um, recently, a friend of mine had a big event going on in her life. She was concerned. She was telling me how she was feeling about it, the weight of it on her. And I immediately was prompted to offer to pray for her. And I, could, I couldn't help it. So I offered to pray for her and she said yes. Um, Another thing, um, recently, I saw the postman's um, van outside, and it was a really hot day, and the Holy Spirit really clearly said to me, why don't you give him a bottle of cold water from the fridge? And I didn't know when he was going to come back, and I realized I'd have to watch for him. And I could have talked myself out of it, but actually I... Really, really, I just could, I couldn't do anything until I waited. I waited by the window. When I saw him, I ran to the fridge. I went outside and I went up to him. And I don't know, you know, the outcome of that. He didn't know me. I might never actually see him again. Um, but um, that, I, yeah, that you never know the blessing that that had been. And that was God speaking to me. Um, just one more thing is that... Um, we live on a, um, a road with probably 80 houses, and we noticed the one right at the other end, so we live at one end, had got really overgrown. It was normally kept really nice. And um, we don't know that neighbor, but myself and my husband, Steve, we wanted to 
Um, we just felt like no one's offering to help her, help that person. Let's go and offer them. We knocked on the door. We met this neighbor, and we've been able to bless her. Um, she um, was isolating during COVID, so we were able to get her things from the shop. And, um, yeah, it was just, yeah, that was, a, that was a God speaking to us, and we felt prompted, and we went and did. And so obedience can be in the little things when you are out of your comfort zone. Um, God loves obedience. Obedience can look like a whole load of different things. It can look like being intentional about doing what he asks you to do in his word and the way he asks you to live and intentionally living that way. It can look like responding to the prompts of the Holy Spirit in the moment to offer to pray for the person the Holy Spirit is saying, go and pray. And it can look, or it could look like massive life-defining decisions like take that job or go to that nation. But whatever it looks like, obedience is a big deal to God. He loves it when we are obedient. Some verses um, just to yeah, highlight this. James 1, 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Let us love with words. In, it says in 1 John 3, let us l- not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And in Matthew 7, verse 24, it says, anyone who hears my words of mine, this is Jesus, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. So we hear and we put them into practice. So knowing God is outworked in our life by as obedience and in love of others. We are to be known for love. John goes on to say, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. We are called to live, act, and love like Christ. We must be known for love. Already, we've read it in John 13. Jesus said, as I have loved you, you must love one another. So how has Jesus loved us? Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. We know what love is because Jesus showed us what love is. Christ died on the cross even when we didn't deserve it. And we know God's love, therefore we show God's love. We are to love the same way we have been loved. We are to serve because Jesus served us. We are to put others ahead of ourselves. We are called to love people we don't even like or we don't even know. And we're called to share our resources generously. The goal of the Holy Spirit's work is to make us more like Jesus. And to finish, I wanted to share about an amazing woman called Jackie Pullinger. So I'm sharing a bit of Jackie's story because you know Jackie knows God because of her radical obedience to God and her love of others. And I've been massively stirred and provoked by her life and her story, and maybe you will be too. 
So Jackie was born in London in 1944. And age 22, Jackie heard God say, go. She bought the cheapest boat ticket that stopped at the greatest number of countries and prayed for God's direction to know where to get off. When the boat pulled into Hong Kong, God told her to disembark, and Jackie obeyed. Jackie quickly found herself working in a place called the Walled City, and it was known at the time as one of the most densely populated places on Earth. It was a crammed complex of interconnected high-rise buildings. Open sewers ran beneath makeshift buildings stacked up on top of one another so that no light could reach the narrow um, pathways beneath the narrow streets below. And in the walled city, there was no health and safety regulations. There was no law and order. The walled city was actually policed by an organized crime group called the Triads. It was a place of extreme poverty, gaining a reputation for prostitution, gambling, and drugs. And Jackie has spent many, many years in the walled city, and she's worked with lots of different people, but often drug addicts and triad members. And she has seen hundreds, if not thousands, of men and women meet Jesus have their lives radically transformed, get set free from drug addiction, and impact the world around them. You can read about her journey through her book called Chasing the Dragon. And one story from that book I wanted to share was of one boy called R. Ping. He was 16 years old when Jackie met him, but he had been initiated into the triad gang when he was 12. And one evening, Jackie came, it says in the book, to a building that they ran a youth club in, in the walled city. And she was pretty discouraged, and Ah Ping saw her, and he began to say to her, Jackie, you might as well leave us. What is the point of you being here? There's no point. Why don't you find some good young people to work with who are actually going to do what you tell them to do? He said, we're no good. We never do what you want us to do. All we do is take and kick you around. Why do you stick around? And this is Jackie's response. Well, I stick around because that's what Jesus did for me. I didn't want Jesus, but he didn't wait until I wanted him. He didn't wait until I promised to reform he didn't wait until I got good. He died for me anyway. He died for me when I hated him, and he never even told me off on the cross. He just said he loved me and forgave me. This is the Jesus that came into the world. This is the Jesus who came and did miracles. This is the Jesus who only ever did good, and he died for me, and he loves you too in the same way. And it says, Ah Ping was totally shattered by the whole thing. He could hardly believe that there was a God like that. It says he sat there on the stone steps to the street and told Jesus that although he could not understand why he loved him, 
he was grateful and he asked Jesus to forgive him and change him. Ah Ping was the first gangster from the fully initiated triads to join the Christians. This is what it tells me, us in Jackie's book. And there's story after story, one after the other after the other, of gang members who have encountered Jesus, got set free from addictions, and are now following him. And I'm just so struck that Jackie knew God. She knew the importance of knowing God and for others to know God. And she lived in obedience, and she showed her love for others. Something Jackie has said, and I just want to finish and, let, and for this to sit, sit with us. Jackie has said, I don't have a ministry. I have a life, a life to share God with whoever I meet. And we can all do that. That's what Jackie said. And we all have a life. We don't need a ministry. We all have a call to know God and make him known. Um, so can we know God? Yes, because of the person and work of Christ. Is it important we know God? Yes, it is so important for us and others to know God. John Piper actually says, the meaning of life is to know God and enjoy God. You were made to know God. And how can we know we know God? Knowing God is outworked in our lives in obedience and in our love of others. And I just wanted to have a really short response just for us to respond ourselves. And there are three responses. Your response might be, I want to know you, God. You don't know this God. You might never have known that you're loved by God and that you're invited to know him. And I would love to speak to you. I'd love to have the opportunity to pray with you. So I'd love you to find me, and I'd love to pray for you. There might be, I felt, um, I felt there might be people who, from the first verse where it said, don't sin, there might be any, if there's anyone here feeling guilty about sin, I just would love you just to take a moment to come to the Father knowing Jesus as the advocate, confess and receive forgiveness and ask the Holy Spirit to keep transforming you. And the third, third group of response might be those that are challenged by that quote from Jackie, I don't have a ministry, I have a life. And you might be challenged in the showing you know God in obedience and love. And I'd just love you to think pray, ask God to bring to mind opportunities for you to obey him and love others. I pray that you would pray, help me to love and obey you. So yeah, we'll just respond now. <laughs>